Hello and welcome back to Mental Health Spot. This is Oli speaking. If you are under the age of 18, please consult with your parent, guardian, or a trusted adult before continuing to tune in to my podcast episodes. Good to be here. What's going on with everybody? I hope that everyone had a very happy Halloween. If you celebrate it, if you don't, then I hope that you engaged in some much-deserved self-care that day. Um, so today, to dive right into our topic, I want to talk about four different types of trauma responses, okay? And trauma responses are developed in our childhood as a result of certain adverse events or situations that we face Typically, not every time. Sometimes it can be an isolated incident. Um, But typically, when we develop these trauma responses that I am going to refer to, it is repeated exposure to trauma. It is more of a CPTSD thing. Now, if you haven't heard that episode Feel free, once you're done with this one, to go ahead and uh, listen to the episode about CPTSD. Um, But just to narrow it down very quickly, PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder, is an isolated incident that goes on in your life, whether it's a natural disaster, going to war and having an adverse experience there, um, a car accident, a rape, an isolated experience that happens to you that results in trauma, that results in distressing feelings, thoughts, nightmares, etc. CPTSD is basically your life was never normal. The baseline was trauma. Like, you know how they always say, oh, what's your baseline? Like, what, what did your life look like before you were this depressed? What did your, uh, your life look like before the trauma? There was no life before the trauma, essentially. When you have CPTSD, it's constant, ongoing, different traumatic events from um, childhood neglect, childhood physical or verbal abuse, um, witnessing domestic violence in the home, um, uh, sexual abuse, you get the point. And so, again, with PTSD, it's more of an isolated incident. The person's life was otherwise somewhat normal. Big thing happens that shakes up their world. See, PTSD, it's different things, ongoing things that continue to happen over time. Now, the four trauma responses can apply to either. But in my experience as a therapist, I see it more often in people um, with CPTSD and CPTSD is not yet a diagnosis officially in the DSM-5 just so you know doesn't make it any less legitimate it is quite legitimate uh, one of the most legitimate diagnoses I've ever um, heard about understood personally and professionally so here are the four types of trauma responses and you may find yourself engaging in all four in two of them in one of them 
in none of them. Okay? There is fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. Let's start with fight. Fight. Have you ever met somebody that you just feel is particularly aggressive? Someone that you feel they're looking for a fight. This person's looking for trouble. Anywhere you take this person or anywhere you go with this person, the most minor thing could be happening. Minor for you, right? But for them, it's it's this big perceived threat, right? Like, for example, you're at a restaurant with this person, right? And the waiter gets their order wrong. And that person's like, excuse me, excuse me. You got my order wrong. You need to do something about this. This is ridiculous. And it becomes a very aggressive interaction. I'm not saying every person who's rude to a waiter, by the way, is engaging in the fight response. Um, But it's an example of what it might look like in a person. It boils down to the feeling of not being heard, of not being taken seriously. And so for anybody else sitting there, you could just be like, okay, like, hey, they got your order wrong. Just, you know, clarify things with them, get your right food, you know, get the correct order and keep it pushing. But that is something that a person that experiences and engages in the fight response would have a hard time doing. So again, they face the world very aggressively. They face the world like there's a constant threat in front of them and they have to fight that threat. That is their job. And that is because of the trauma they've experienced. Because of the trauma they've experienced, they've always felt like they have to defend themselves, defend their honor, defend their feelings, their thoughts, their emotions. So these people come off as very defensive, okay? That is a fight response. I rarely, if ever, personally engage in the fight response. I'll tell you which one I am. Well, you'll figure it out because you know me already once I'm done explaining the form. The flight response. This is pretty self-explanatory. I see a perceived threat and I'm out of here. I avoid it at all costs. I want nothing to do with it. Nothing at all to do with it. Avoidant, I leave the building. So for example, if someone had, in this particular situation, um, a car accident on the 826. The 826 is a an expressway in the Miami area, if you live in Miami. They may avoid going on the 826 because they had the accident there. And even though there's no imminent or, or, you know, there's no imminent danger, they perceive a threat because something happened there before. And so they avoid that area all together so as not to expose themselves to perceived danger. If someone grew up in a home with a lot of negative interactions and a lot of fighting and a lot of discord, um, you may see that this person will just walk away 
will just walk away, will not engage. That is the flight response. They leave, they exit the building. That is their trauma reaction. That is how they respond because of what they've been through. They would just rather not engage because it doesn't feel safe to engage. That's the bottom line. It doesn't feel safe to engage, therefore they do not. The freeze response. Freeze response, also pretty self-explanatory. You literally just freeze. You, you, You just sit there. Freeze. Frozen. Solid. No response. No reaction. You have completely dissociated at this point. You are rock solid. And oftentimes, victims of sexual trauma will report that they freeze. And a lot of people, particularly people that are judgmental in nature and don't understand psychology, will say, well, how could you possibly freeze? Well, why didn't you fight that person off that was trying to assault you? They genuinely froze. This is a real-life occurrence And it's also a safety measure. It is something that uh, these victims have done subconsciously to keep themselves safe from further harm. When you're being raped or sexually assaulted, that's not a pleasant experience, okay? And you don't know how much more violent that person could become with you. And so the freeze response is typically something that occurs to sort of like stop anything else from happening or escalating it's a life-saving measure when you've experienced trauma because what happens with the fight response going back to that one if the trauma's there or the perceived trauma's there and you're fighting it and you're fighting it and you're fighting it things are just going to get bigger things are going to exacerbate when you freeze that's really not an option Um, The same applies to, you know, people that grew up around, um, for example, seeing domestic violence. If there's a lot of yelling, a lot of screaming, these people could freeze. That, That could cause a freeze response. Because it could feel like they are in that moment where they were witnessing all of these terrible things. Last but certainly not least, the fawn response. That's F-A-W-N. The fawn response. Just open up the dictionary and your girl's face will be right next to it. The fawn response is basically somebody who will perceive a threat and try their very best to accommodate said threat by being extremely people-pleasing, extremely accommodating, extremely over-the-top nice. Oh my gosh. Look at me. I'm perceiving a, a possible threat here. There, there, There's conflict. You know, there's someone here that may not be happy with something I'm doing. 
So let me go above and beyond the call of duty to be extra nice because I'm afraid, I'm scared of what this person's response is going to be toward me. It really all boils down to fear, all of the responses. Nobody sees that with the fight response because they think, oh, this person's an aggressor. What could they possibly be afraid of? They are afraid. They're afraid of not being heard. They're afraid of many things. And in their fear, they fight. And so with someone that has a fawn response, I actually found something. I'm opening my computer up. It's the first time I reference a note. Um, because I'm, I like to be very authentic and speak from my heart. But I loved the way this was worded. And so um, I'm coming on here. Bear with me, y'all. I'm looking for it. The fawn response is an instinctual response associated with a need to avoid conflict and trauma via appeasing behaviors. So basically, these are people that go out of their way to almost appease their abusers. That is how they grew up. These are people that grew up in homes that were dysfunctional, negative in nature, and they thought or learned that by appeasing their abusers and being particularly nice and particularly charming that they would um, that there would be less negativity to experience there would be less anger uh, to receive there would be less um, toxicity if you will and so again the fawn response is a people pleasing approval seeking response so if you see somebody in the world that's very much like that people pleasers aren't just created out of nowhere and I have a whole episode about that we are created because we were once made to feel unsafe sharing our true emotions and perhaps not once we were made to feel unsafe numerous times sharing our true genuine emotions It was done in an unsafe environment where we felt invalidated. We felt like we couldn't trust you. And if there's something that we people pleasers, a.k.a. those of us with the fawn response, don't like, it's unpredictability. We like predictability. We like consistency. If something smells inconsistent or unpredictable, we immediately go into the fawn response and try to accommodate it. Because we think if we accommodate it, that threat will disappear. And somehow the abuser will become less abusive. And so part of being in the fawn response, we we think we have a lot of control over how other people behave. And I think it's realizing that we don't. That's 
half the work that needs to be done in therapy, realizing that how we act, behave, or don't act or behave has nothing to do with how an abuser is going to be. Um, And so you see that there's like extreme reactions here because again, in the fight response, this is someone who is going to be combative and who is not going to allow themselves to feel helpless. Whereas someone with the fawn response, they're okay with feeling helpless if that means there's not going to be any conflict. Their goal is to seek your approval. Once they have it, they rest easy. And so again, these four responses are all derived from the first 10 years of our lives. Um, Obviously, very significant things can happen after the age of 10 that can also contribute to this. Um, I have many stories after the age of 10 that can contribute to my fond response. Um, That absolutely makes sense to the fond response. I've also experienced um, the flight response. And I've also experienced the freeze response. I rarely experience the fight response. Um, And typically, in most situations, if you're a fawn response type of person, you're not going to be a fight response type of person. Like my fiance. He's fight all the way. He is fight. He is fight. He is fight to the day he dies. He does not believe in a fawn response. He does not understand the fawn response. And that has been... a a thing for us in our relationship to really understand each person's individual trauma response and why they are the way they are. And it's no accident that we are attracted to each other. Think about it. How would two people do that uh, have a fight response? Two fighters together? And then two people with a fun response? No one would ever make a decision about where they want to go eat. Where do you want to go? No, where do you want to go? Do you want tacos? I don't care. I'll eat whatever you want. Uh-huh. So half the battle starts in becoming aware of what your response is. And what makes you go there. And what makes you go there is it's activating your inner child. So pay attention to that. Because a lot of us, we want nothing to do with our inner child. We think we grown. We think we adults. And that our inner child has no say or no play in our lives. Guess what? I did, I did an assignment recently with my therapist. And I realized by doing it, it was actually a drawing assignment. Which was really interesting that she asked me to do that. As a grown up. Because I usually do that with my, with my little ones. I do like a lot of art therapy with my little ones. And I love that she did that because it helped me understand just how much my inner child is involved in everything. And it never goes away. It never goes away. Your inner child is there and that is what's being activated every single time you engage in your trauma response. So sit with yourself and ask yourself, what's going on with me right now? Why am I being triggered? Why is my inner child being triggered? Why do I feel unsafe? Is the threat real or is it imagined? And if I think it's real, what evidence do I have to support that it is in fact real? Actual evidence. Evidence are based on facts. 
excuse me, evidence is based on facts. Not like, for example, I'll show you something I do often. I'll be like, I look ugly today. I'm hideous. And I'll try to use uh, cognitive behavioral therapy on myself, right? And be like, well, what evidence do you have to support that, Olivia? And then I'll just be like, because I'm hideous. Like, look at me. I, I just looked in the mirror and I look hideous. The end. That's not evidence. That's just self-defeating, uh, self-loathing talk. Negative self-talk. Evidence would be, like, for example, oh my gosh, my best friend is coming over and she says she wants to talk to me about something important. Oh my gosh. Um, what if, what if she doesn't love me anymore? What if, what if she stopped liking me? What if she no longer wants to be friends with me? That's catastrophizing, right? So then we come in and we use our cognitive behavioral therapy and we say, okay, what evidence do you have to support that? Uh, I don't know. I'm just scared. I'm just anxious. Okay. What evidence do you have to support that this person has been there for you and shown up for you, been consistent and been a good friend? List the examples. So again, all based on facts. Um, Nine times out of 10, our fear of abandonment is just that, fear. Um, We've been abandoned before. I I certainly have been abandoned, not literally, but in a figurative sense. And so with people that experience the fawn response, their fear is also abandonment. That's a very real fear. And so they think if they appease you and they people please you, you'll love them enough to stay. And what I have found and what I've learned is that the people who love you are going to be okay with who you are authentically. Like today I was having a conversation with my best friend. Like, like I love this girl. Like I, I'm obsessed with her. She's amazing. Like, I don't know what, to, what I did to deserve her. And she was giving me advice. And it was really good advice. She was giving me great feedback that was coming from a place of trying to protect me and look out for me. But I felt overwhelmed because at the end of the day, I'm not going to take her advice. And it's not because it's not great advice. It's just the situation for me in my head, it's not going to align with her advice right now. And I just said, friend, please, no advice. And she was just like, you got it. Like, it wasn't, like, a passive-aggressive, like, oh, my God, I'm just trying to help you. Oh, my God, like, um, why are you like this? Like, I'm just looking out for you. Like, there was nothing like that. She was like, you got it, friend. And she kept talking to me normally and kept being encouraging and kept being supportive. Like, she, and she tells me all the time, if I'm saying something that's triggering you, let me know. Like, she wants to be aware. So... She's a whole unicorn. I have really good friends. I, I really do. Um, I think, like I always tell them, I think God knew I was going to have a rough life. And he was like, girl, let me give you some good people to surround yourself with because it's going to be rough for you, sister. Um, anyway, it was hard for me to actually tell her I didn't need advice in that moment and I cringed for like a second but then I remembered who this person is and that she actually appreciates me telling her hey this isn't helping me right now 
Now, this is what she wants. This is what they all want. And that's like a concept that's like foreign to me because I've never really had people care about my feelings to that extent. You know, it's just wild. Um, Get you some friends like that. But what happens with people in the fight response also, I keep going back and forth, but in the fight response, they have this idea where it's like they've been abandoned before, but they're like, everybody's going to leave me anyway. Everybody's going to leave me anyway, so I'm going to fuck. I'm just going to be who I am. I'm going to fight you to the day I die, and it don't matter because everybody's leaving. That's how my fiancé thinks. He's like, everybody's going somewhere. No one's ever going to be by your side forever. Um, you, you're never going to have a forever friend. You're never going to have someone in your corner forever. People leave you. People don't care. People care about you for a little while. Thoughts and prayers and well wishes, but then they leave you. That's how he thinks. And that's why he's ready to fight. Because he he doesn't see the value of preserving a relationship because at some point in his life, at some point, <coughs> excuse me, something was said or done to him multiple times, numerous times, where it sent the message like, we're not going to be there for you. And we're not going to make space for who you are authentically. And... That resulted in him even being louder about who he is. So pay attention to the people in your life that are aggressive. Pay attention to the people in your life that are people-pleasing. Both extremes. Pay attention. Because these are people that have suffered trauma. Whether they want to tell you that or not. And they're having a constant ongoing response to that. Oh, someone with a fond response. Since I gave the example about the waiter would get the wrong order and just be like, okay, well, I guess I'm just going to eat my food. And somebody might look at them and be like, can't you just get what you ordered? No, no, it's fine. Like, if I'm not allergic, I'm just going to eat it. Sounds like me. Like, I don't want to, like, upset anybody. You know? And let's not negate the importance of of the flight or the freeze response. The freeze response... Once you unfreeze and all those feelings set in, can be very painful to maneuver, navigate. And the flight response, that's somebody that can either be in the fight or in the fawn or perhaps neither. But this is just someone who has found that the safest way for them to exist is to not be involved in any way. And so these people can seem probably very emotionally distant and emotionally unavailable. Have you ever met somebody like that? That you're like, wow, this person's kind of cold, kind of emotionally unavailable, like doesn't seem like they have a whole lot of empathy. Um, And they just kind of like book it when conversations get real serious. They just leave. Probably someone that would uh, also have a uh, avoidant attachment style, which we've done an episode on that before too. You can go ahead and take a look. But, yeah, these are people that are like, "Uh uh-uh. There's too many emotions. There's too many feelings going on. Don't want to deal with it. I gots to go. Because at some point, they did deal with it. And it became too overwhelming for them to maneuver through. And 
instead of speaking up, which felt like a lot more work, they were just like, we out, we go dip. And so ladies, 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 and I'm not going to say just ladies because ladies can ghost people too, but there's a lot of men out there that, that be ghosting us. Okay. I say us cause it's happened to me before when I was single, um, and when they ghost you, chances are they probably have a flight trauma response. It's when things start to get real, start to get heavy, start to get emotional. And then all of a sudden this person exits stage left and you're like, well, what happened? I thought everything was going well. So also important to pay attention to that. And it's not that they don't care. It's not. It's that at some point they became so overwhelmed by the emotions and the feelings of the people around them that they just made a decision to protect themselves, to stay out of it. So which one are you? What is your trauma response, if any? I would love to learn that about you. For sure, y'all know, fond response all the way. That's just me. Um, And I'm really trying to work on it, guys. I'm really trying to work on it. Um, it's a journey. My friend always makes fun of me because he's like, you say everything's a journey. Are you even going to get to your destination? Yes, we're going to get there. But it definitely is a journey. And I'm working hard with my therapist on it. Like, even with my best friend who I love and I'm super close to, we've been friends for almost 10 years. Um... I can't believe I actually told her, like, hey, this isn't helpful. Like, I don't want advice. I think five years ago, I wouldn't have said anything. And I would have just allowed myself to become overwhelmed. And so I think the fact that I'm saying it and that she was receptive. So that created a corrective experience for me where it made me feel like, okay, I don't have to fawn here. I don't have to fawn. Because this is someone who wants me to be authentic. And they are creating that safe space for me to be authentic. And so this is a corrective experience. And if I have more of these corrective experiences, I will start to get rid of that fawn response little by little by little. It may always be your default, but you can at the very least become aware of it. Learn how to maneuver it. So like I said, pay attention to what's going on inside of you. When you are triggered, what is triggering you? Is it feeling like you're not being heard, like you're not being seen, like you're not being taken seriously? Is it feeling like you're carrying the emotions of other people? What What is triggering you? And then when you have an answer to that question, after doing some self-exploration, what are some things you can do to self-regulate? And to essentially engage in different types of relaxation techniques or mechanisms so that you can regulate your nervous system and send that message to your nervous system that you are not in danger. You are safe here. And for what it's worth, I hope you always remember that about mental health spot. You are never in danger here. Come as you are. Come as you are. Until next time. Be well.